Well, hello, Summit Church. Hope you all are doing well today at all of our campuses across the Triangle. Uh, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Summit Church. I am extremely excited to be able to preach to you this weekend. Uh, and I get to uh, kind of wrap up our series that we've been in for the past three weeks uh, on, called Bear, Go and Bear Fruit. And, uh, and so uh, we kind of hope every time we preach uh, the Word of God, that as you leave here, one of the things that you're thinking is, man, how can God change me? And with this series in particular, uh, what we're hoping is that you're like, man, I want to bear fruit. I hear what you're talking about, and I want to be the kind of person that bears the fruit, that bears the marks of a healthy Christian. And so, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully bring us home today. But I am a guest speaker, and I asked Pastor J.D., uh, hey, what do I need to tell them about that? And he said a couple of things. He said he'd be real sad if you don't do this. So one, you need to laugh at my jokes, okay? Just make me feel good. I'm not pastor. He's witty all the time, right? He makes jokes. It seems like everything he does is funny, okay? So if I tell a joke and it bombs, just laugh at it anyway. Pat me on the head. All right, do that for me. The second thing is, if I ask you to do something like raise your hand, uh, or if I ask you to respond to something, if I, if I call for spirit fingers, right? You know, just, just go ahead and do it. If we're doing spirit fingers, it means the Holy Spirit is moving in new and awesome ways in the Summit Church that we've never experienced before, or it means that I've lost my place, okay? I'm a guest speaker. I might lose my place. That happens, right? But um, go ahead and open up your Bibles with me to Jeremiah 17. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to take a look at that. That's going to be the passage we look at for today. And, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pray for us to start us off. Father, I want to thank you so much for today. Uh, I want to thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you for this, uh, for this weekend. And I really thank you for this series that we had uh, on bearing fruit. And God, I want to pray that, that, that we would, God, as a church, that we would bear fruit, that we would be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ and as individuals and as a body of believers, that we would bear the fruit, the marks of repentance, the marks of, of evangelism, and, and that, we would, that we would bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, uh, and I pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. Are you ready? Because I'm about to ask you a question, and I want you to respond at all of our campuses. How many of you love the great outdoors? You just love it, like fishing, hunting. You like the idea of camping, like going on hikes, right? All right, let me ask you another question. How many of you like the idea of the great outdoors from a window of a car? You know, you're like, why would I go swim in a lake? Water moccasins live in lakes, right? Mic drop right there. No, no need to do that. I'll swim in a pool, thank you, right? Okay, I, I had a really unique opportunity because I love the outdoors. I hunt, I do all that kind of stuff. Uh, I had a really unique opportunity to visit a desert. I went overseas with a, uh, with a team from this church to visit some of our people that live overseas. Uh, and they, they, they told us, they were like, we've got something really exciting for you. We are going to take you to a desert. Now, I'm from Alabama, okay? I grew up there. I moved to, to South Carolina, and then I moved up here to North Carolina. Uh, when I think of the, the outdoors, when I think of like what I want, I'm like lush wilderness, okay? When they said desert, I think heat, sand, minus the ocean, that's probably terrible. But I'm going to tell you, it was amazing. It was like one of the most beautiful places that I've ever seen in my whole life. We've got a picture. It doesn't do it justice, okay? But it was breathtaking uh, in the desert. I, I, I loved it there. It, it is an amazing place. If you ever get an opportunity to go visit a desert, you should absolutely do it. But let me highlight a word that I just said. It is a great place to visit, okay? <laughs> It would be a terrible place to live. It would be awful to get lost there, right? If you're in a desert, you need three things. You need lots of water, way more than you think you need. You need a vehicle that is four-wheel drive with lots of gas, and you need someone that knows the desert pretty well. Because while it's beautiful, it looks kind of the same everywhere. 
Like there was one point that the whole team was like, we have no clue where we are. Like if we were to get lost out here, if we were to like lose our water, we would be gone. And the reason that that's the case, the reason that it's, it's, it's an inhospitable place, there's hardly any life in the desert, right? There's almost no plants. There's almost no animals. There's still mosquitoes though. I don't know how. The only reason you know it's not hell is because there's no cats, right? You know, I looked around a couple of times like, just to make sure I'm not dead. Uh, there's no cats, uh, you know? And so uh, the reason is because the desert's not a fruitful place. The desert isn't a place where, where, where all, almost nothing can thrive to, uh, in terms of living in the desert. And I, I went there really recently, and, and as I was coming back, uh, we started this series. And it made me just kind of think about that there are people that live their spiritual lives kind of like a desert. And the truth is, is that I've kind of even had seasons in my life spiritually that have felt much more like a desert than like Pisgah National Forest in Western North Carolina. Like times where it's kind of like, man, I, I read my Bible and I just hardly don't get much out of it. I pray and I just don't feel anything, right? I, I, I talk to people about God and everything on the outside, everything kind of above the surface looks good. But beneath the surface, it's just, there's just something missing. And I know that there's something missing. And my guess is that many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you have been there. In fact, there might be some of you this weekend that you're there right now. And there might be some of you that have been there for a really long time, a decade, maybe even longer. You really haven't had a vibrant spiritual walk since you were in college. And so the question that I kind of want to answer today, the question that I want to bring us home with this, this week to wrap up this series is at the deepest level, at the most fundamental level, what's the difference? What does it take to actually be a fruitful Christian? What's the difference between someone who bears fruit and someone who doesn't bear fruit? And I think the text today is going to help us. And I chose this text today because, because my wife actually challenged me in one of these times when, when, when things were a desert. She challenged me with this passage, and it, and it changed my life. But, but, but let's go ahead and dive in a little bit. We're going to start in verse 5. And just to let you know kind of the context of this passage, that Israel is in, like, in kind of like if you were to look at them, they would have been very prosperous. They were well off. Uh, everything was going pretty well for them. Uh, and that is the context that Jeremiah enters into as he says this. Let's start in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So I want to walk through this passage and take a look at the shrub that's in the desert and the tree that's planted by streams of living water. And first of all, as Jeremiah writes this poem, if, if, you know, he's, trying, he's comparing a shrub and a tree. So if we were to ask you a hypothetical question, what would you rather be, a big, strong tree or would you rather be a little bitty shrub? I mean, even in his writing it, we kind of know that the tree is the one that we would rather be. But just in case we don't kind of get that, look, look at what he says about the shrub. The shrub lives in a desert. 
There's no other life around it, right? The land is uninhabited. So the shrub is all alone. There's no vibrancy. There's no life. There's no animals. There's no other plants. The second thing he says about it that I really want us to see is that the, the shrub that's planted in the desert doesn't see any good come. Most, most translations, and I think it's actually a better translation, say it doesn't see when good comes. That doesn't mean that the shrub doesn't have good things. It doesn't mean that the person in this situation doesn't have like some, some of the blessings from God pour, pour on them. It just means that they can't see them. They're not aware of them. And what this kind of reminds me of, it kind of reminds me of, of someone who's a drug addict and continues to make decisions that are hurtful, to, continues to make decisions that, that are harmful to them, and their family is pleading with them, stop doing this. Their family is like, we're fighting for you, but you're fighting against us. You can't even see the good that we're doing to you. Because the shrub, a person in this, a person in this case who puts their strength in themselves, is incapable of seeing where God is at work. But that stands in stark contrast to the tree, doesn't it? The tree, let's look at a couple of things it says about the tree. The tree does not fear when heat comes. And the heat is, is the things that all of us have faced. We've all faced bad news. We've all had to see some of our weaknesses, some of our shortcomings. We've all had things that, that, that have happened in our lives that, that are disappointing. Some of them really disappointing. That's like the heat of life. But what this says is a person whose trust is in the Lord like, the, you don't have to be afraid of those. That person isn't afraid of those things. The next thing it says is, it's not anxious in the year of drought. So drought is a little bit more severe, isn't it? Drought is one of those things uh, that, that's like, that's the kind of news that changes the course of your life. And you're like, all right, my life is going in this direction. I thought we were going this way, but this has happened, and my life is really never going to be the same again. But, but someone whose trust is in the Lord, those things can happen, and they don't live lives filled with anxiety. I, I remember that there is a, uh, there was, I had a friend in college, and she, she had two siblings that had spina bifida, and they were both in wheelchairs, and she was the oldest. They were, they were, uh, they, they were in high school, and, um, and, 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 but they loved God. This family loved God, all of them, the mom and the dad, her and her two siblings, and they went out to dinner. My mom and I went out to dinner with them one night in college, and, uh, and, and I, you know, I kind of t- told my mom ahead of time, look, they've got two kids, they're in wheelchairs. My mom, her first kind of thought was like, oh man, I don't even know how they deal with that. And, and, and but as we're eating dinner, uh, this family is, was so joyful. And this family was really open and vulnerable uh, about what it had been like uh, to grow up. Uh, the kids were vulnerable about it. The parents were vulnerable about it. What it's like to grow up with uh, having two kids in wheelchairs. But the other thing that happened was they asked my mom a ton of questions. We laughed a ton at that dinner, and they asked my mom so many, they were so interested in her. And as we left, my mom was like kind of blown away. And she was like, you know, like, I, I, I thought that the dinner would go just a whole lot different. I don't kind of understand why they were so joyful. And I, and I had to tell her, it's because their hope is in the Lord and because the spina bifida and the wheelchairs don't define them. Because yes, like, it, 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 may, it may seem like a setback, uh, but because their hope is in the Lord, they had, that wasn't the defining characteristic about them. They had the capacity to be able to love you and to love us really well. So let me ask you a question. Does this sound like you? Like when you hear, like, doesn't fear when the heat comes, when, when you hear uh, not anxious in the year of drought, does that describe your life? 
Well, let's look at why this tree is kind of like that. You see, this tree is planted by water. This tree has a constant water source, uh, and, and, it, and it doesn't have to depend on circumstances in order to thrive, right? Show, show the other picture in the desert. So we were driving around the desert, and we came across this mountain, and about 100 meters up, we see kind of this, like, I don't know, like vegetation up there, right? And they told us, uh, I mean, like, let's go ahead and say, like, what do you think is up there? Just say it. No, I want you to really say it. What's up there? Water, right? There's water. There's a spring up there. So we actually climbed up it, and we found, like, there's all this life. In fact, uh, we didn't see him when we were walking up, but when we got up there, I, like, came face to face with a billy goat. <laughs> it was, like, right there. I mean, it startled me. I, like, almost fell off. It was, like, Burr. I'm, like, oh, my goodness. And you don't know at that moment what you're going to do with the wild animal. Like, there's a part of me that's, like, I think I can take a billy goat, you know? But I'm like, but this is his area. He jumps around this mountain all the time. If he wants to knock me down, he probably can. But this area was great. It was, it was trees. It was thriving. It was vibrant. There was, there was like little lizards all over the place. And, and the reason is because it had a constant water source. You see, this desert, it, it gets less than four inches of rain a year. But this place right here has been thriving and vibrant for thousands of years because there, there's a spring underneath there. And in the same way that that area has a spring underneath it, this tree that, that God is talking about has a constant water source. It isn't depending on circumstances. And so what is the primary difference between the two trees? What's well, location, right? It's location. And what God's trying to get through to us in this passage is it is the location of your trust that determines fruitfulness. That's what I want you to walk away here with. That is the main point of this sermon, that the location of your trust determines fruitfulness. And so when someone asks you, like if someone in your small group, they're at the beach right now, uh, when they ask you, they come back, they're like, hey, what was the sermon about this weekend? I want you to remember that. I want you to remember, like, location is the big deal. Location of my trust determines fruitfulness. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, what's the difference between the two trees? And you are going to yell back at me, Location. We're going to do it three times. All of our campuses. In fact, campus out there, if you don't do it, your campus pastor is going to tell me, and there's going to be no tickets for Christmas at DBAC this year for you. Okay? So let's do this. Okay? I'm going to say it's going to be three times. I'm going to point at you. You're going to yell location. So uh, Summit Church, what is the difference between the two trees? Location. What's the difference between the two trees? Location. Just say it one more time. Location. Location. Right? So when you, someone comes back in and like, what was the sermon about? It was about the location of my trust. Fruitfulness de is dependent upon the location of my trust. You know, and all the real estate agents right now at Summit Church are like, amen, preach, preacher. Location, location, location. <laughs> now listen, that is like, in one sense, that's the primary difference. But there's one really big problem. I can boil it down, I can say it in a sentence, and it's so easy, but there's one really big problem, and God in his mercy tells us what it is, and it's in verse 9. Let me read it. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now listen, if you've been in church any length of time, if you were involved in a high school ministry, a college ministry, you have heard this verse. In fact, when I was doing research for this passage, this is really the primary verse that people use. They just come in and they grab it and they use it to kind of talk about sin. And I think that's fine, but this, ver this verse is in this context for a reason. Remember what I said? That if, 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 when, when, if you had looked at Israel, if you had asked someone in Israel, hey, are you guys a fruitful tree or are you more like a shrub in a desert? Are you individually like fruitful or are you kind of like not fruitful? They'd have been like, we are fruitful. Look at us. 
we're rich, we're wealthy, we've got good neighbors, we've got good standing everywhere. But the truth is, is that Jeremiah comes through and is like, you're not. You think you are, but you're not. You, things on the surface look good, but underneath the surface, they're not good at all. And the reason is, is just for this same reason that, that Solomon writes in Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And the reason for that is because we human beings have an amazing capacity for self-deception and self-justification. And that brings me to my second point. Church, there is no way that you can determine on your own whether or not you are a fruit-bearing follower of Jesus. You just can't do it. You can't do that on your own. Your heart, the Bible tells us that our heart actually works against us. It's kind of like an autoimmune disease, right? Our body is like, it thinks that it's actually helping us when in reality it's working against us. One commentator puts it like this. He says, one way our minds are crooked is that we have an infinite number of ways of justifying any action we'd like to take. For instance, action that avoids trusting in God and puts us in control of safeguarding our destinies. Our minds are wretched insofar as there is no way we can cure our minds of their malaise. Further, because the only instrument we have for understanding our own minds is our own minds, we have no way out of the vicious circle. Even when we want to know the truth at one level, at another level we don't want to know. And we find ways of hiding the truth from ourselves. And haven't we seen this in other people? We probably have examples in our mind that we can think of a guy that, that everybody kind of around him knew the issues that were going on around him. Everybody around this guy like, like saw his sin, they saw the problems, but he didn't see it. And he just kind of acted like everything was like good, right? It's kind of like somebody that comes back from lunch and they got a piece of lettuce to suck in their teeth and you kind of like see them and they're laughing and they're talking and they're telling jokes. And you're like, I can't take you seriously. I can't, like, you, you know, you're in a meeting, and I'm like, this meeting's a complete waste of time because you got a big old piece of romaine right there, bro, you know? Uh, like that, that's that's kind of what it's like, right? And, I, I, you know, I had a friend in college that uh, he was so in love with this girl, but all of us were like, man, she's not godly. Man, she's doing things that, I, I, like, give me great pause. He, his best friend in the whole world who loved him and only wanted good for him said, man, you are a fool if you marry that girl. And he just rejected all of it. He married her, and sure enough, she broke his heart over and over and over again. You know, it's, if you can see this in others so well, and we know that this is true about other people, don't you think that there are areas in your life that are messed up, that are broken, that are sinful, that you can't see? You know, I, I, I'm going to make it personal too. I had a friend of mine sit me down right after I graduated from college, and he asked me this question. He said, do you know how you come across when you get fired up. And I was like, yeah, passionate. I come across as passionate. He's like, no, you don't. He said, you come across like a jerk. You come across as uh, self-righteous and you come across without compassion and without grace. And he was like, and I love you and I'm gonna keep loving you, but I'm also gonna fight for you. And I'm gonna tell you the hard things that you need to hear in your life. And man, that guy changed my life by having that conversation. I didn't respond well at first, but as I started to look at it and I started to ask other people, I was like, man, thank you. You know, the, the, the truth is, is that that guy wanted more for me in my life than I wanted for myself at that moment. And that's the same thing that's true here. Is that God wants more for you in your life. 
He wants to show these things to you so that you'll be changed. But the problem is that we're blind to our own sin. We can't even see it. As Paul David Tripps put it, we are, we are blind to our blindness. This is just the most blunt way I can say this, and I want to say it with total humility and total love. But the biggest problem you have in your life is you. It's the lies that you tell yourself. It's the lies that you believe. And then you turn around and you convince yourself that everything is fine and you're living in the truth. Guys, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? This is an insurmountable problem to take on by yourself. I want you to hear both sides of that. It is an insurmountable problem to take on by yourself. However, the good news is that God doesn't want you to take it on by yourself, and you don't have to take it on by yourself. The very next verse, let's read it, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Point number three, the bad news and the good news is that what we don't know and can't know, God knows. What we don't know and can't know, God knows. Listen, he says we can't trust our hearts. We can't know ourselves, but, but God is saying, but I know them. You know, I know what's in, I know what's in your heart. And when it says I test the mind, actually like what that says is he tests the kidneys, he tests the bowels. But that's kind of disgusting, right? So I'm kind of glad we changed it. You know, like Hallmark cards would not quite be the same if it was like, I love you from the bottom of my bowels. Every time I think about you, I get a little flutter in my bowels. That card just doesn't read quite the same. You know, my wife is not going to respond quite the same to me. But what he is trying to say is that things, I know things about you that you don't know. There's things in your life, you're completely unaware of them, and I know what they are. Why does God tell us that? Because he's like, listen, I am the Lord, and you are under my care. I, I, I care about you. I want to engage into this, because and, and, this is what is really going on here. In this passage where, where he lays out the two trees, where Jeremiah lays out the two trees, in the passage where Jeremiah says, look, you're, you're deceitful, but God knows you. Uh, church, this is not just a declaration of truth. It is an invitation to a relationship. It is an invitation out of the desert that you are living in to be replanted by streams of living water where you will never cease to bear fruit. An invitation to be, to be replanted in a place where your leaves will always be green. And listen, the sad thing about the, about, about the actual story that's going on here is that when Jeremiah brought this message, not many people responded to it. In fact, there was a whole contingency of people that were like, we don't like your message. They preached the exact opposite of Jeremiah's message, and thousands of people died because of it. But we do know that there was one person that did respond to Jeremiah's message. And that was Jeremiah himself. If we drop down just a couple of verses into verse 14, Jeremiah writes out a prayer. And he kicks off the prayer that he prays. And he cries out to God. He says, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. Listen, Jeremiah delivers this message. And in a personal moment, as he's thinking about what he has preached, says, I need help. If that's, I am messed up, I am broken, I want to be fruitful, but I know that I can't be fruitful unless God works. And that brings me to my fourth point, guys. When you cry out to God for help, he always answers yes. 
When you cry out to God for help, he always answers yes. You know that there are some prayers in the Bible that are always a yes? That if you ask God to do that, God will answer yes, I will definitely do it. Let me read a couple of them off to you. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not might be saved, not start to be saved, not halfway be saved, you will be saved. It is 100%. John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, not some, not those with a pretty decent record, not those who had memorized some, some, uh, some, some, some Bible verses, not those who grew up in a godly home, all who did receive him, he believed in his name and gave the right to become children of God. All. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you know that in some, in some format or another, that passage is in the Bible eight different times. I can't find another passage that's so direct that the Bible claims more. That God gives grace to those who humble themselves before him. There's no disclaimers anywhere in the Bible on it. There's no fine print. If you humble yourself before God, he will pour out his grace on you. He will pour out his blessing on you. So when you cry out to God, help me know you more, God is going to answer that with a yes. When you cry out, God, expose my sin, expose my idolatry so that I can worship you more fully, he's going to say yes. Father's when you cry out, reveal my shortcomings as a husband, reveal my shortcomings as a dad so that I can lead my family more and be a better, be a better beacon of light to my family for your name. He's going to say yes. When you say, God, I want to be used to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use me in any way you see fit. God will say yes. When you say, God, I want to bear fruit. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a shrub planted in, in, in the wilderness, uh, God, in the desert. I want to be a fruit that bears fruit for your name. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. God will say yes. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you got to call on him. If you call on anything else, you will never see change. If you put your strength in anyone else or anywhere else, you'll, you, you'll, you'll never change and you'll never even be able to see good come. And you'll wonder, you'll wonder why your life never really changes. And you'll blame other people and you'll blame your circumstances, but you will never do the one thing that you have to do, which takes a good, hard look at yourself and cry out for help. Guys, that is not what God wants for you. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what God wants for you. That's why God lays out this invitation so that we would have the abundant life and we would take it from him. So guys, I wanna close this morning with three things. And I really want, it's like those of you that are like, I want it. I want to bear fruit. There is not, I, I, I've heard the series uh, over the past four weekends, and I don't want to be a shrub in a desert. I want to bear the most fruit that I can. I want to be the most godly person that I can. Let me just tell you three things I think need to happen in your life. One, you just need to confess your need to be replanted. In the same way that a, that, that, that a shrub can't replant itself, right? A tree cannot move itself. It needs to have a gardener come and, and dig it out carefully and be tender with the roots and move it to a place where it can be healthy. In the same way, you can't replant yourself. But that's what the gospel is, right? The gospel is, is God being like, look, I know your greatest problem and you can't take care of it. You can't take care of your sin. If you're if left to your own devices, you will die in your sins, but I'll come and save you. I'll come and take care of it. Some of you need to re be replanted for the first time. 
The stuff that we talk about here at the Summit Church, about loving God, about, about God being the delight of our hearts and the joy of our lives, you have never experienced that. It's just been a checklist for you. Well, the reason it might be that is because you you've actually don't really know God. You've never been replanted ever in your whole life. But I also wanna tell you that even if you've been a Christian for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, as your idolatry is exposed, you too need to be replanted. You know, David, King David cried out at one point in his walk with God and his life with God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is like, expose my sin because I don't want to live in it. You know things about me that I don't know. Let's bring them into the light so I can be as fruitful a man, a fruitful a king as I possibly can be. We need to be replanted. The second thing is, you need some godly people in your life. You need some friends in your life who are, who are willing to say the hard but loving things to you. You just gotta have some friends like that. The shrub is in an uninhabited land. It's alone, it's isolated. A tree that's gonna be planted by streams of water is gonna have, it's gonna have a, whole, a whole bunch of wildlife all around it. Just like people who really love God, we have people in our lives. They speak into our lives and we speak into their lives. And let me just go ahead and say, please don't be too picky about that. Just look for people who love God, who love you. Godliness is the key characteristic that you want in a friend. Someone who's not just a yes person, but willing to speak into your life. Listen, I, I'm just gonna tell you two, two stories about how this has been like really radical for me. Um, the first one is I, I went to a friend of mine once uh, and I was like, I'd had a whole lot of sin in my heart and I just confessed it before him and I was crying and in my mind, I was so ashamed. And I was like, I kind of told him there towards the end, I was, I was like shaking. And I was like, I don't know how you, can, how you can stand to even be around me after what I just told you. And he said something I'm, I'm ne I'll never forget. He said, Daniel, it's because I love you. And at that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of put his hand on my back and whisper into my soul and into my heart and into my life. He just said that, but that was really me. He said it and he meant it. But Daniel, that's what I that's what I think about you, right? And my life has never been the same since. And I know I've told you that a couple of times already, but guess what? If you open up your life to God and you cry out to him, God, I want to be replanted. Search me, show me my sins so that I can repent. Guess what? You're going to have a lot of these happen in your life too. It's going to be kind of common. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend come to me and, and he started laying out his life. And because this isn't like one way, it goes both ways. Like I wanna be vulnerable to other people, but I also wanna be the kind of friend that says the hard but loving things to somebody. And he laid out some areas of his life and he just said, hey, will you speak into this? Because I think there's some sin. And in the first two areas, he laid out three things. I said, man, I, I actually don't think there's much sin in there, but this last one, man, you need to be like really careful because it seems like you are really struggling with jealousy and envy. You are coveting stuff that you don't have that other people have. And it's kind of wrecking your world, man. Man, God is enough for you and he loves you. You need some friends that'll speak to you like that. And as that begins to happen, the amazing thing is you'll actually be changed and turned into a friend that says the hard but loving things. 
And the last thing is, is I just kind of want to give you one thing, like as you begin to see some of these things, as you begin to see your sin, as you begin to see your heart and, and just the depths of its deceitfulness, man, as, you, as that's kind of exposed, just this is a great question to ask in the midst of that time, isn't it? Is how does Jesus change me in this situation? Like how, how does the gospel, the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ change this? How is it supposed to change me? How does it change how I feel about God? How does it change how I think and feel about the people around me? How does it change how, how I live in this world? How does it change how I think and feel about myself? Because it does. There's not one situation, there's not one thing that could ever come out of your life that, that, that Jesus doesn't change tremendously, that he doesn't redeem tremendously. There's not one area of your life that he cannot come in and, and, and dig up and replant as long as you want that to happen. As long as you call out, heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are my praise. One of the reasons that I'm able to get up here and actually tell you about a lot of my faults is because I feel free to do so. It's okay for me to be broken. That's why I've been kind of honest. My life should reflect the grace and the mercy of God, but it can't do that if I live with some type of false persona that I'm awesome or I'm great. I'm not, but Jesus is amazing and he saves sinners that are just rotten and vile and he changes them and he redeems them. And it's amazing when he does it. And, it, and he uses people like that in powerful ways. So let me just ask a question. What would your life look like if that happened to you? What would your life look like if you lived in that kind of vulnerability before God and before other people? What would it look like to be like, all right, I'm gonna put down the persona of having to be powerful and I'll just live vulnerable? Guys, what would our church look like if, if all 10,000 of us did that? God has blessed our church in tremendous ways, but I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, if we started living like that, we, we haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg yet. A thousand churches in 40 years, more like 10,000 churches in 40 years. We'll, we'll start to see places overseas that have no, like we'll start to see unreached people groups reached in massive ways. We might even see no more orphans in Raleigh-Durham. Man, we're, 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 Satan will start begging for mercy from what God will be doing through this church. It'll be amazing. Our, our, our church will be changed. Our community will change, be changed. And to be honest, I think because of what God could do through it, parts of the world will be changed if we start living like this. Do you want to be a fruitful Christian? Just cry out to God. Whatever it takes, God, my hands are open. I want it. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that we would be a fruitful church. God, I pray that we would see what it is from your word to be a fruitful Christian, to live in the fruit of repentance, to live in the fruit of the Spirit, to live in the fruit of, of evangelism, God, and that we would seek it, that we would want it, and that, God, that we would put everything else aside and say, God, change me. I don't want to be like the shrub that lives in an uninhabited desert. I want to be like a tree that's planted by strings of water. Because, God, I want to honor you I want to love you. I want to understand the gospel. And I want you to use me in other people's lives. I, I, I want the fruit of my life to, 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 to bear out so that I am a blessing, God, to, this, to, 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 to my friends, to my family, to my church, and to the whole world. So God, I pray you would continue to do that in our church. Continue, continue to let this place be a place of great fruit, a place of great blessing. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.